The Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. You know, sometimes the question is, is it cowardice or prudence that would cause someone to leave an area? Many times there will be uh, missionaries that are advised to get out of a country where they're serving, and there'll be ambassadors there, and they're recalled, and they say, no, I want to stay there, but uh, more sense would be for them to leave. Well, we're going to talk about that today in the case of the Apostle Paul and Barnabas as they leave town one place and then another place they did not. We're in Acts chapter 14, and each chapter seems to have its own unique story that I mm. think it just draws us in. And today on Exploring the Word, we're going to look at that. This is Bert Harper and Alex McFarland. Alex, chapter 14, it moves, man. You know, he goes from this place to this place to this one. Uh, chapter 14, when he comes to the end of it, it will end his, quote, his first missionary journey. So 14 is a, a pivotal, I wouldn't say pivotal, but a very important chapter. You know, I, I've said this before, and I, I really wish they would make a movie of the book of Acts. I think it would be an action-packed film. I mean, it would be one of the greats. It really would. And maybe somebody did make a movie of it. I, I really don't know. But Acts 14, this is some of those exciting times. Paul uh, is at Iconium, Lystra, Derby. Uh, there's going to be a healing of a man. But uh, verse 2, you know, Paul... He would go to the synagogues, and that, that was his kind of his standard uh, boilerplate approach. When he'd go into a city, he would go to the synagogues, and like we've talked about, he was so intimately familiar with the Jewish scriptures and history, he could take any part of Jewish history and make a beeline to the cross. And look at verse 1 of Acts 14, also many of the Greeks believed but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil against the brethren. That Bert, have you ever heard the phrase, uh, poison the well? Yes, and that is one of the things it comes from right here. And uh, again, Alex, let me make one comment, then I want to get back to the poison in the well. Notice it's a great, he went to the synagogue, and a great multitude, both Jews and also the Greeks, at the synagogue. In other words, the further you get away, it seems, now you may uh, have identified this and may agree completely or a little bit, but seems the further you get away from Jerusalem, the more the synagogues have God-fearers. Now, God-fearer is a Gentile who's, mm -hmm. who, who believes there's one God. Uh, he believes that the moral standing of the Jewish uh, teaching is right, but he does not become a proselyte. He doesn't become a Jew. He stays a Gentile, but he worships there. And so it's here it is in Iconium that you have a great multitude of both Jews and Greeks. I, uh, I, I That really encouraged me, man. Uh, ex exactly, people that are that are moral people and and pious, I suppose, to a certain degree. But we've said this many times, friends. There's general revelation and there's special revelation. Look, everybody 
deep in their heart, they know right from wrong. I mean, now we don't always do what's right, but deep down people know what's right. And and these Greeks that got within hearing distance of the synagogues, they knew there was a God, but Paul gives to them what we call special revelation. Not only this abstract idea of a creator, but a personal Savior, and many believed. And so, verse 3, it says, Long time therefore abode they, speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace, granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, part held with the Jews and part held with the apostles. Bert, um, there's just volumes of of wonderful truth in verse 3, that Paul and Barnabas and the growing numbers of followers of Jesus spoke boldly, in the Lord, not just spoke boldly about the Lord, but in the Lord, which tells me they were being led by the Holy Spirit. I agree. And notice what it says, the word of his grace. You know, now what we're doing, we're talking about where the law was, you know, first place, where the law was to be followed strictly. And again, here comes God invading their territory, challenging their mind to let them see that the law could not fulfill all that God wanted for them, but in grace it is fulfilled. They they probably didn't know too much about grace at that point, did they? They did not. And here Luke brings that in, uh, in his uh, sharing the truth of what took place, a word of grace. I pray that that would be true today, that yes, we speak truth, but we speak the truth and saying the grace of God is sufficient to save an individual if they'll come to him. So Alex, this is the gospel and Peter, uh, Peter's been faithful and now Paul's faithful to share it with these as well. You know, I think we always need to talk about the grace of God and, uh, it really is a free gift. Salvation is a free gift from the God who loves you. Maybe today, friend, you need to trust in his grace. But they spoke boldly in the Lord. They gave testimony unto the word through signs and wonders. Now, let me say this um, without getting off topic here, but I believe in miracles. I do. I've seen God answer prayer. I've seen people radically saved. I've seen needs met. I've seen people healed, and uh, I, I. But those those miracles are not a show just for themselves. It's always pointing to salvation in Jesus. And Bert, the degree to which the Holy Spirit of God works miraculous things within the body of Christ, it's always ultimately to point people to the gospel. Uh, let me say this, you feel free to disagree, but sometimes people will ask me, why isn't everybody healed? Because some sometimes people are healed and other people aren't. Let me say, Jesus died on the cross to give us the most important healing of all, which is the regeneration of our lost souls. And the, the, the Holy Spirit works. Jesus said that he would draw all men to himself, Whatever God is doing, whether it's pricking somebody's heart, um, giving unction to a preacher, or doing miracles, isn't it always to further the Great Commission and to point sinners to the Savior? It is, and and leave it up to God. I mean, this is God's business. He's the Amen. healer. He is the one. 
And uh, don't put God in a box saying he can't heal anyone. Don't put God in a box saying if you've got enough faith, you will be healed. Uh, Listen, if you look at the New Testament and you look at the Gospels, you look at Acts, uh, how does a dead man have faith? And yet God raised three up. Uh, Jesus did, you know. So uh, God is the healer and, and leave it up to him to whom he will. And if he does not, Look at the book of Hebrews chapter 11. I love that chapter. I think it's it's faith. But notice in the first part, it talks about all that the faith happened to deliver them, to heal them, to give them victory. But in verse 35 of Hebrews 11 following, it says, but others. And it talks about them being sewn in two, uh, pulled apart, dying. You know, guess what, Alex? Same faith. The same faith that delivered some is the same faith that let some be sown into. And it's God's business, and it's for his glory and ultimately for our good that people would know Jesus Christ, which is the gospel of, of good news. Well, the multitude of the city was divided, part held with the Jews, part with the apostles, and there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers. Okay, this is this is a an altercation. This is a you know I don't know the extent of the assault, but it says to use them despitefully and to stone them. And they were aware of it. They fled unto Lystra and Derby cities of Lyconia and under the region that lies about. And there they preached the gospel. They had to get out of there, uh, really, for the sake of their lives. And isn't it sad that? The, the message of life was opposed with the threat of death. But this is Satan, folks. Uh, the devil opposes people getting saved. The devil has always opposed the spread of the gospel. And even right now, Bert, there are missionaries. I know you and uh, you do a lot with exploring missions. And the persecution of preachers of the good news has really to one degree or another, always been happening for 2,000 years, hasn't it? It has. And the last 100 years, it's been as bad anywhere. Now, in America, we've been isolated from that, but our brothers and sisters around the world, and especially in Asia, and and now Northern Africa, you're talking about paying the price. Uh, They are. But here, later on, uh, you know, Paul doesn't leave town, and he'll be stoned, dragged out of town, as if he were dead. Some people think he was dead and the, he rose again. We don't know everything about Maybe. that. Maybe. Maybe. But here they get out of town, and sometimes it is wise. And he does that, and the gospel was continued to preach. And verse 8, And in Lystra a certain man, without strength in his feet, was sitting a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking, uh, Paul, observing him intently, seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet, and he leaped and walked. Now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices and saying, and this is where they want to make them God. They want to make Barnabas, Zeus, and Hermes, Paul, and Alex. I I had never thought of this. They did the research. There was no synagogue in Lystra. So he couldn't yeah. go to the synagogue to do his usual um, mode of operation, you know, preach at the synagogue. So when right. he saw this, 
Uh, let me say this. You was talking about miracles and the gospel being connected with it. Guess what? This man is healed, and people are drawn to him, and they want to make them gods, but Paul turns it around and says, no, I want to tell you about Jesus. So again, here is a miracle doing what? Shh, to show the good news of Jesus Christ. Yes. Well, you know, people, it's been said that in the beginning, God made man in his image, and man has been returning the favor ever since. You, you've heard that <laughs> yes, statement. Yes, I have, yes. The, the gods, they, the pagan, false, non-existent gods that the people knew, they said the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men, and that Jupiter, Mercury. So the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, in other words, this was supposedly a god that was a god for patron saint of their city. He brought oxen, garlands to the gates, and would have done sacrifice with the people, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they rent their clothes and ran out among the people, crying out, saying, Sirs, why are you doing this? We also are men just like you, you know, men with passion just like you, and we're calling you, I love this, Bert, in verse 15, yes. turn away from vanities, to the living God. They're trying to get them from the, the, the false religion to the true. And who is this living God? By the way, creation is so important. And this is why we love the ministry of Ken Ham. Paul says, the God who made heaven and earth and the sea, without creation, there couldn't have been salvation. Belief in God the Creator is a big part of it, isn't it? It is. And when we come back, we're going to talk about why Paul went to the creation rather than the Jewish history. We'll talk more about that when we come back. This is Pause to Pray, a chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Vice President Kamala Harris. As vice president, she serves at the pleasure of the president, is first in the presidential line of succession, and is also president of the United States Senate. Matthew 23:11 reminds us of the importance of serving others. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Vice President Kamala Harris as she serves the President and our country. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Dr. Tony Evans says what matters isn't the number of people who show up for worship, it's whether or not God shows up. He'll take us to 2 Chronicles 5 for a look at our part in making that happen as we spend two minutes with Tony. He says, and when they praise the Lord saying, he indeed is good and his loving kindness is everlasting, then, and let me put it this way, not until then, in unison with one voice, then, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud. Uh-oh, the atmosphere changed. Uh, something that was not there is currently there. There was no cloud until the praise rang out in unison. And the glory of the Lord filled the house. Now, wait a minute. Verse 14 says, the glory of the Lord filled the house 
But not until verse 13 happened when it says, with one voice, they came to praise and glorify the Lord. In other words, when they glorified God in unison, God responded to their glory with his glory. His glory did not come till their glory was expressed. So you literally can be holding back the glory of the Lord if he's not being glorified or you are trying to glorify him in division. If there's not one voice and the one voice isn't glorifying God, you could be keeping the cloud outside the house. Learn about the oneness in worship that can bring God's glory to earth. Check out the CD series, The Spiritual Toolkit, when you visit TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. You know, I've always loved Acts 14, 17 that says God has not left himself without a witness. And in many ways, we see the hand of God. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But I welcome you back to Exploring the Word. Alex McFarlane here with Bert Harper. So glad you're listening. We're going to continue Acts 14 in just a second. And also take your telephone calls. And I'm going to give that number. It's 888-589-8840. We'd love to have you call in with a Bible question. Hey, Bert, can I tell a little bit about the, just the blessing I had yesterday? Of being in Texas? We always want to hear that, Alex. Well, Texas is always a blessing. I love Texas. And the dear people in Canton, Texas, I was at First Baptist Church yesterday, and uh Oh, my goodness, we had this baccalaureate service, and there were a couple of hundred graduates and their families, and I got to speak, and I got to share the gospel with these young people and all the grown-ups, and that, but I talked to these youth about God and country, and, um, you know, in we're living in a time of so many different things and calls for socialism. I said, listen, don't you believe it? This is America, the land of the free, and you know what? I will say this too, Bert. The next great revival that our nation so desperately needs, it just might come out of Texas. I want to tell you, there are masses of devout Christians in the Lone Star State. And uh, I'm back in North Carolina now. I'm going to be headed over to Fayetteville Friday night, Saturday, Sunday. I'll be with Tony McVickers and all the great folks at Rockfish Church Amen. in Fayetteville. But um, getting to be with all those young people, and we went... Uh, we had food, and uh, I will say this, Bert. So many people came up in in the reception last night, had some refreshments. Everybody said, tell Bert Harper hello. We love exploring the Word, and you and Bert got to get down here to Dallas and Canton and Texas. We love you. Amen. Thanks for your prayers and support. There is, and uh, I guess the reason we talk so much about Texas, there's so much of it to love. It's so big, yeah, Alex. You know. It is. <laughs> hey. Well, uh, you, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, and by the way, you know, I was talking to somebody, and they were talking about the economy. Seriously, the GDP of Texas. Somebody was telling me economists have figured it out. If there really wasn't government intrusion, the GDP of Texas 
could lift the entire American economy and ultimately help pay down the national debt. So get your mind around that about the vastness of Texas. It is. Hey, uh, we love every state, and uh, so we praise the Lord for you who are listening. Alex, we're in Chapter 14, and we've mentioned it before um, we went to break. When they had the opportunity, these men, they said, are men with the same nature and talked about this living God who made the heavens, the earth, and sea. Now, Paul doesn't always say that. Sometimes he'll say, the faith of Abraham, or he'll talk about Isaac and Jacob. He'll talk about David. But here he talks about the living God in creation. I think he may know his audience, you know? And uh, so this is an audience of basically Gentiles. So where does he go? He goes to creation. But all points leads to God. All these points lead to Jesus Christ. And so here, I was talking to a missionary just this past week, and uh, we were talking about where he was serving, and he said, yes, when I went to a new area in that particular country, he said, I talked about creation. He said, in certain areas, you can talk about uh, the redemption of Christ to begin with. And he and I both thought of this point. In America, it's becoming more and more exceedingly that we've got to go back to the creation because we're living in such a, a biblically ignorant society that they don't know what we're talking about mm-hmm. when we're talking about King David or, or Abraham. So, Alex, here Paul talks about the creation. I agree with you, Ken Ham and the, uh, you know, the creation museum there. If you haven't visited, you'll need to visit there. The ark is there, the ark encounter. But here Paul does this in such a way, and I agree with you. Nevertheless, verse 17, he did not leave himself without a witness in that he did good. He's the one that gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling one's hearts with food and gladness. Now, this is important because guess what? They had a God for each one of these, and they thought there was a multiplicity of gods, and here Paul zeroes in and says, no, there's the one God who has given us all that, and he is a good God. Alex, what a message. Oh, Bert, you did so well explaining that, and and that's true. Because people now are so biblically illiterate, um, I read this 10 years ago. Um, Well, two quotes, folks. They said, we we have been a harvest-minded church in an unseated generation. A harvest-minded church in an unseeded generation. In other words, you're not going to get a harvest unless there was some seeds planted. But the other thing is, people say that we're a a non-Christian nation. Ten years ago, I read somebody say that America is a pre-Christian nation. Meaning that, and, and I know there's a rich Christian history, a lot of churches, a lot of believers, praise the Lord. But there are masses now that are you know, teens, young adults, and they honestly have no context uh, about God, salvation, Jesus. So like Paul in verse 17, he goes back to creation. Um, Yes, there's a a creator, and the world you're in was made by God. And you say, well, what's wrong with the world? Well, there was a thing called sin that we introduced into this. We put sin into the 
equation. So he gives the the necessary uh, foundation on which to really put the the meat of the gospel out there, doesn't he? It is. In verse 18, I want to show, I think you see it and, and everybody reads it. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. Here, Paul and Barnabas, they are restraining. They are saying, no way. They are not going to take this. They're not going to take the glory from God. And and just let me share that with you. It doesn't hurt. Alex and I appreciate people when they say, man, exploring the word blesses our heart. You and Alex are a blessing. I just want to share with you, Alex and I both, we transfer that on. It's God. It's God's mercy. It's God's grace. It's God's spirit that's reigning in us. And so here they restrain these people. No, you can't do this. Alex, uh, they were not going to take the glory away from God. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. We always want to point all the glory, all the accolades, all the honor to the Lord. Now, in 19 through 22, made it uh, certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium persuaded people. In other words, they got their their mob to go with them, and they stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he'd been dead. In other words, they dragged him to dragged him to the edge of town, didn't they? And the, Paul has been marginalized, criticized, opposed. For the first time, Paul is really taking the physical brunt of persecution in his own body. I mean, this this is taking things to another level, isn't it? It is. And notice, it's the Jews from Antioch and Iconium. There wasn't enough there for them to do that, so they brought them in. I, I just want to share with you, let's look at this as spiritual warfare. Satan, don't you agree? Satan is bringing others to it. If he hasn't got enough, he's going to put it and he's going to, quote, pool the resources that he has some control over to bring it against the gospel of Jesus Christ being presented. And again, this is that. Notice it says, And having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Now, why Paul and not Barnabas? Because that there is that Paul has become the chief spokesman. Paul is the one that is declaring the truth. And because of that, all the energy of anger is toward him, Alex. Well, and, you know, they thought he was Mercury. They thought that he was, you know, the god Mercury. And it's it's interesting that uh, Mercury was a powerful Olympian god, and that's what they thought Paul was. So he's you know he's a a visible vocal spokesperson. But do you remember back in Acts eleven, the believers were first called Christians at Antioch, and notice these people that are going to kill Paul are Jews from Antioch. Show me wherever God does a great work, and Satan comes around to do his counter-offensive. I think about Asheville, North Carolina. For 150 years, the Baptist Convention Center Ridgecrest has been up there. There was a great missionary school called the Ben Lippin Missionary School, named for a Scottish missionary. Billy Graham lived there. There's Montreat that's been a town of... Bert, I don't know if you've ever heard of Montreat, but it was just a total 
little town where nobody lived there but Christian missionaries. And Billy Graham and Ruth lived there in Montreat. And then, so much I could say, a lot, a lot of Christian work in western North Carolina for 150 years. And yet today, the New Age is there. Rampant homosexuality and liberalism. There's still Christians there. But in the city of Asheville, they've had a public demonstration that I'm not even going to describe. It is so vile and immoral. And my point being, just like the disciples were called Christians at Antioch, and yet out of that same context, Satan raised up people willing to try to physically kill Paul. That's why we have to be vigilant. We have to be prayerful. We have to be unified. Because wherever God does a work, Satan is going to try to do something against it. He is. And however, when the disciples gathered around Paul, he rose up, went into the city, (laughs) and the next day departed with Barnabas to Derbe. Now, let's talk about this. The disciples gathered around him. Uh, The encouragement, we don't know. They supposed he was dead. Alex, uh, the stoning, it was horrible, is hideous, but he rose up and went into the city I'm, we're talking about immediate, and then the next day... He went right back to the place where he nearly exactly. lost his life. Isn't that amazing? And he, the next day he departed. And so, and when they, verse 21, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned. Now, if, if you're underlined or highlight in your Bible, you need to underline the word returned. Uh, this is part of his missionary strategy. Let's go over it just a second. Part of it, not the whole thing. But he would always go to the synagogue if there was one available. And he would preach the gospel. He had the authority to do so. Uh, He was a student of Gamaliel, so the synagogue would recognize him as a teacher. He would teach and tell them about Jesus. Some would believe, some would not. Those that would believe, he would train, he would disciple, he would help them grow, and then he would stay there a while. He usually left one of the men there that was traveling with him a little while while he went on to the next city if he could. And then Mm -hmm. he would come back and return on on his way back home. He returned and then he would share them and help them and encourage them more. Uh, I, I just love this. It wasn't uh, flying off the cuff, uh, Alex. Paul had, and, and I don't use this word lightly, a regimented way that was flexible, a regimented way that was flexible in order to get a, the disciples growing in these towns, and it worked. And if that didn't beat it, guess what he'd do? He would write them a letter later, <laughs> you know? Yeah, he didn't drop them. Well, he didn't win them and drop them, did he? No, he didn't. And yeah, verse twenty-three says he ordained elders in every city. That's related to the word order. Um, you know, it's affirming, it's structuring, and they prayed with fasting, commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So he he exudes leadership and structure, and so it's just exciting because. And I like 28, too. They abode there long when they go down through uh, Pisidia, Pamphylia, Perga, Italia. They go into all these places. It's very systematic. And wherever uh, Paul goes, he cuts a, a, a path of conversions, structuring, ordering. He's, 
He's the missionary building the church, isn't he? He is. And again, these are all places that most of them where he had been, some of them he had been run out and wasn't safe, but he it didn't keep him from returning. He was a bold witness for Christ. And then they sailed to Antioch. They were going back to the first Antioch that sent them out and where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. They they and, said, God, we trust you. We don't know what you have, but we trust you. Now, when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that yes. God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there in Antioch a long time with the disciples. Alex, I love that. They reported. They returned, yes. and then they reported. You know, I love this. I was going to point out verse 27. Sometimes it's reviewed or rehearsed or reported all that God had done. And let's not forget something that started with Peter, and it's come along everywhere Paul's gone to, that God has opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And and we've got to remind ourselves, this was a big deal. The idea that, you know, dogs, Gentiles, could become children of the covenant. And in re- relationship with the true and living God, and even in relationship with Jesus, I mean, this was a big thing. And you know, the word declare can also mean really announce or proclaim. Bert, have you ever been in churches where you had a testimony meeting? Oh, you bet, brother. Some of my favorites. Don't we need to keep on declaring? the great things the Lord has mercifully done for us. He is a great God, and we need to praise Him and let others hear us praise Him. We're going to be back with your phone calls right after this break. 888-589-8840. We want to hear from you. American Family Radio newscasts are now available as a podcast. I'm Rusty Pugh. I'm Steve Jordahl. Didn't catch the full story? Listen to the podcast. I'm Chris Woodward. I'm Chad Groening. Didn't have the radio on at the top of the hour? Listen to the podcast. I'm Charlie Bunch. And I'm Fred Jackson. Get accurate news from a Christian perspective whenever you want it with the American Family News podcast. You can also sign up for our daily news brief. Visit onenewsnow.com. AFR programming is now available on Alexa. You're joking, right? Nope, not joking. Seriously? Yep, this is not a drill. Wait a minute, no way. There's a way, the Alexa way. So if you just happen to miss your favorite shows, no worries. You can now listen to each podcast with Alexa. It's simple and it's free. Just visit AFR.net forward slash apps and click Alexa. We're not joking. When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. House Republicans ousted Liz Cheney from the GOP conference chair position and voted 134 to 46 to replace her with New York Congresswoman Elise Stefanik. In doing so, they chose Stefanik over Representative Chip Roy of Texas. As conference chair, Stefanik will have control of the party purse strings to roll out money to get Republicans she favors elected to Congress. The problem here is that policy-wise, Stefanik is just as much of a rhino as Cheney, maybe even more. The election was more about Trump loyalty than constitutionalism. In bypassing Roy, the GOP seems uninterested in conservatism. 
Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with today's Moving Forward Minute. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What if I said, I'd like to give you this gift, and you received the gift? Now imagine that after that you did something that I didn't like. What if I said, hey, I don't like what you're doing. I want my gift back. Then I never really gave it to you to begin with. Gifts are given freely. Because of our sin, the only thing that we've earned or deserve is death and judgment. But God, through His Son, Jesus Christ, freely offers us the most wonderful, eternal gift, His gift of eternal life. You can't earn it, and you can't unearn it, but you must simply receive it. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 8.30 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. But God demonstrated his own love towards us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. American Family Radio. And the Salvation Army Band is playing this hymn. And your grace rings out so deep, it makes my resistance seem so thin. Welcome back to Exploring the Word, Bertie and Alex. We're going to go to the phone lines. We are full up. Our, our as they, as Dan Silly calls it, my queue is full, but the call yes. screens are full. So Alex, and we're going to try to answer these questions as thoroughly, but as quickly as we can. So let's go to Ohio and talk to Carol. Carol, welcome. You need to turn your radio off, yes. Carol. Hello. Okay. Turn the radio down, and are you? Are you there? Question I for listen us? to you all the time, and it's the only station that I have on when I turn my radio on. And I've listened for years, and this is the first time I've been able to get through. So you're very popular. So thank you. Thank, thank you, you for Carol. your persistence. My question has to do with divorce. According to the Bible, what are the acceptable ways uh, to get a divorce? What are the acceptable purposes? Alex, for- let's let's answer that quickly. You go ahead and do it. You and I, Carol, we've uh, that's a question that we get asked quite a bit. We want to answer it as good as we can. Alex, just go ahead and and help Carol. Well, God bless you, and thanks for listening. You know, Malachi 2.16, God says, I hate divorce. But according to Jesus, uh, adultery, you know, if if the marriage covenant is broken by one's infidelity, uh, Matthew 5.32, uh, sexual immorality is definitely grounds for divorce. But, you know, the um, also really uh, abandonment, um, if it talks about in First Corinthians chapter seven, if an unbeliever abandons the marriage, First Corinthians seven fifteen, the believing brother or sister that was abandoned is not bound. God has called you to peace. 
Now, Dr. Dobson would always give these three A's, adultery, abandonment, and abuse. Bert, I really do think people um, not only have an obligation, but really it's in many, many cases the most beneficial thing. Work to try to save your marriage, whether it's counseling or even separation for a time, not to go out and try to look for avenues by which you can leave the marriage, but to fast and pray and sincerely work to try to save the relationship. Uh, I had Dr. Chapman on my radio show recently, Gary Chapman, and he said the vast majority of marriages could be saved, but so often the people don't really want, one, one or both of the partners don't want to save the marriage, but the predominant uh, g- biblical grounds for divorce is adultery and then secondarily abandonment. And let me just say, don't let divorce be your first option. Do not, even if it's adultery, abandonment, check and see. See what God would have you to do. Don't react too quick. Uh, seek God. Thank you, Carol. And thank you for listening all this time. Let's yes. go to Iowa and talk to David. David, welcome. Afternoon, Alex and Bert. God be the glory. To God be yes. the glory. Um, Amen, brother. Absolutely. Every day. Hey, my question is when when um, Jesus left, left the, the disciples with the Holy Spirit, what is the main purpose for the Holy Spirit? Is it to guide us along our walk with Jesus? Because... When I honestly, when I pray, I pray to you know for God for certain things. I ask the Holy Spirit a lot to help guide me through my daily walk. Is is that correct? Okay, good question. Uh, John had a lot to say about that. He's going to convict the world of sin. He's going to do all these things. Let me just share this. Jesus, he went back to heaven after you. This, this is me now. You may disagree, Alex. But after Jesus' incarnation, you only find Jesus in one place at, at one time. Uh, I, I believe the incarnation, uh, he emptied himself, you know. I understand that. But Jesus could only be in one place at one time. And right now, he is seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. The Holy Spirit is able to be in all places all the time in the lives of believers. So what Jesus says, it is necessary that I go back. And when he goes back, he's going to come. He's going to help you do even greater things. So he draws people to himself. He convicts the world of sin. Yes, he does. But he strengthens believers, doesn't he? He really does. You know, Bert, you and I have done several shows about the Holy Spirit, and uh, listen, this is a topic that you need to know about and study on, but drawing sinners to Jesus, strengthening... Excuse oh. me. So I, I swallowed wrong. Strengthening okay. the church, you know, helping us, you know, uh, know the Bible, guiding us into all truth, giving us power, bearing the fruits of the Spirit and godliness in our lives. These are just a few of the ministries of the Holy Spirit. So you're right. Jesus ascended back to heaven, but God the Holy Spirit is omnipresent everywhere and willing to work in our lives if we'll let him. Uh, people say, oh, I wish I could have walked with Jesus. I understand that. I do too. 
But those people had Jesus beside them. Through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we have God in us. Now, Alex, beside you or in you, which one is the best advantage? <laughs> I think in you. I do, and too. We haven't been shortchanged one bit, have we? We really haven't. Amen. We really haven't. Um, but uh, I'm going to give that number again, 888-589-8840. Billy Graham wrote a classic book on the Holy Spirit, and uh, I... It seems like I recommend a lot of Billy Graham's books, but I think those are good starting places to, to learn more and drill down a little more deeply. Amen. Thank you so much. Let's go to Louisiana and talk to Stephen. Stephen, welcome. Good afternoon, Bert. Good afternoon, Alex. I called earlier, Alex. I promise I won't uh, keep bugging on the telephone. Oh, you're uh, wonderful. Yeah, I was on the Hamilton corner, and, and you and I got to talk. What a blessing. Thanks for listening. Bless you, brother. Uh, I, I, I just want to make a uh, a statement uh, as far as my experiences go. Uh, I appreciate uh, how God's love letter to the Bible is pointing out the difficulties that uh, he's, he's lead the people who were leaders in the church, the problems and challenges they had uh, in the church, in the, the newly formed church in Europe and other places as well. But, uh, you know, down at the grassroots level, there's uh, challenges that exist. When you want to be part of the family of that church and you have uh, skills that can help the church, you know, I sing, I can, I'm a cop and I do repair work. I, uh, I, like, being, I like people, you know. But at three different times since Katrina, I uh, was in Houston at a, for a while. I was in Lake Charles, which has that was before Rita hit them. The strong church community and the people outside the church that didn't—I didn't even know if they went to church. I was treated so well, man. Uh, mm. Okay, yeah. Alex, uh, you and Stephen, you want to talk about using your skills uh, in the church? Well, exactly, exactly. And you know the the thing about it when the body of believers is being led by the Holy Spirit. I mean, you're like family. That's one of these things. Uh, Bert, I, I travel a lot. Like I showed up yesterday in Canton, Texas. I wasn't on the property 30 seconds, and I felt like I was with friends I'd known my whole life. And and that unity of believers and being able to do things together, of course, uh, but um, it, it's the Holy Spirit because the Spirit in them is the Spirit in me. And you know what? I, I want to say this. We hear so much about racism nowadays. The answer to racism is the gospel and the love of Jesus. E.W. Jackson says racism is not a skin problem. It's a sin problem. And Bert, wouldn't it be a beautiful thing if the church in all of its beautiful ethnicities, but unified around Jesus, filled with the Spirit, we could show this broken world what love and unity really is, couldn't we? We could. And the church that sent Paul and Barnabas out, Antioch, that was the kind of church it was. When you look at those five leaders and see where each one of those five pastors came from, you know it was a multicultural church in so many ways. And that, Lord, may you do that again in our lives. 
Let's mm-hmm. go to Texas and talk to Stan. Stan, welcome. Hey, how are you guys doing? Doing well today. Hey, we're doing good here too. So this is one of my one of my concerns. It's about young people that they shy away from the Bible, they don't believe and stuff like that, because they have so many questions that they don't get answers to that they can accept and understand. And so as much as I try to convince them, you know, they, they just always hold off. Let's, let's start, for instance, um, the Cain and Abel. Okay, so he got a mark on his forehead, and he was cast out, went to the land of Nod, and took a wife. Well, then their question is, where'd those people come from? You know? Okay. Oh. Hey, Stan, you're hitting a great point, and I, I reason I do this, got so many callers, but... Alex has written a book that really helps those young people. And when you order that book and you give it to them, uh, if they'll read it, I think they'll have some of their questions answered, those questions they have. Alex, uh, you, you did that purposely, didn't you? Yeah, we did. We did. Um, Stand Strong in college. We wrote a book called Stand, Core Truths You Must Know for an Unshakable Faith. Uh, and then, well... More recently, because here's the thing about young people, the objections and the questions, 10 years ago, they were very much evidential. How do we know Jesus rose from the dead? How do we know the manuscripts of the Bible are true? And I wrote this book called The Ten Most Common Objections to Christianity and How to Answer Them. But then a couple of years ago, I wrote a book called The God You Thought You Knew, exposing 10 common myths about Christianity. And Bert, here recently, among teens, even some middle schoolers, I mean, I've talked to middle schoolers that think they are atheists, the questions are not so much evidential, but emotional. You know, why, is, why am I hurting? And, and I, I honestly think, Bert, the skepticism among so many young people, because of the emotional pain they feel, is, is related to the breakdown of the family. Amen. But... Uh, regarding where did Cain get his wife, you know, the thing is, interestingly, Cain married a sibling, as we all do. I mean, because we're all related to Adam and Eve. The Bible doesn't tell us how old Cain was in Genesis 4-8 when he killed Abel. But the thing about it, it says in Genesis 5-4, Adam and Eve had other sons and daughters. And so the person that Cain married was a daughter or granddaughter of Adam and Eve. Because, you know, um, hundreds of years are going by, and people are multiplying. There, You know, it's been estimated that by the time Adam died, I mean, there would have been hundreds of thousands of people living on earth, maybe much more than that. So when Cain went to the land of Nod and took a wife, it was some distant relative. But the entire human race descended from a single male-female pair. Even geneticists believe that. And we call those that pair Adam and Eve. Thank you, Stan. We're going to try to get one more question in, and it's Charles from Mississippi. Charles, go right ahead. Hi. I'm just trying to learn how to make my prayer life better. And one thing that I seem to get hung up on is actually giving something to God in prayer. A lot of people talk like 
it should be a completely freeing thing and that, you know, you could just lay things at his feet. And it seems like they want to think they can just at that point walk away from it. But I have trouble knowing whenever we make a request or when someone is like trying to think about a business venture or things like that, or if we're just actually praying for a problem with someone, how much of it is still our responsibility to do as much as we can to try to make that happen? Amen, Charles. Great question. A lot of your prayer life should be, what should I do? Lord, lead me to know how to resolve the issue. Lead me. Uh, Alex, a lot of times we want to lay it out and let God just come and do it. But most of the time, it's something God wants us to do for our own benefit too, isn't it? You know what, Bert? I've been working on a show for you and me to record about 10, 10 misconceptions about the church and political issues. Because I've gotten some objections from people who say, well, the church has no business to talk about moral, social, political issues. Well, I disagree. Completely. One of the things somebody emailed me and said, quote, to change the world, what Christians need to do is pray. And that's true. But the Bible says in James, faith without works is dead. And so in, in my prayer life, um, there's worship, there's gratitude, there's confession, there's petition. Worshiping God, praising God, there's confession of sin, and petition. That's asking God. And you know what? When we pray and we act, things begin to happen, don't they? They do. Someone said it this way. You better put feet to your prayers because you may be the answer. You know? Uh, Have your Christianity in shoe leather. Amen. So <laughs> we hope that helps you, brother. And uh, keep praying, seeking God, but obey him and do the good work that God's called us to do. It's tomorrow Friday, Alex. Let's let's have a fire away Friday. Let's tomorrow, do that. Shall we? We'll do Amen. that tomorrow. So join us tomorrow with all your questions. Alex and I'll answer as many as we can. That's tomorrow on Exploring the Word.